My time is yours. I was the last man standing. Welcome to the Vicious Circle. I am Rob. This episode is going to be a first for us um, because we got to have the Neil Pruitt on, uh, producer from WCW, and there was a little bit of technical difficulty in this episode, so unfortunately there is going to be a touch of editing. Every episode you've listened to so far has been completely unedited. There's been nothing taken out. It is from beginning to end. It is raw audio so you there is no editing done this one there is a little bit only because of these technical difficulties and i wanted you guys to know it so that you know everything up front that is 100 percent true i hope you enjoy my time is yours welcome to the vicious circle uh sid we are lucky enough to have a very special guest here this week it is neil pruitt neil how are you i'm terrific guys thanks for having me on I always appreciate talking about a fun business that I got to be involved with some great people, just like Sid Vicious there. Well, as you know, I don't like all the people, especially office people that I meet or have met over, along the way. Neil, you're one of the few that I actually I really enjoyed being with. <laughs> I appreciate it, sir. We always had a good time, even though we had a little bit of a spat when we first got started. Sid, if you remember that when you came into the edit or into the uh, audio room. We were doing some interviews and kind of doing the whisper thing, and I jumped your butt right away uh, and <laughs> talked about how you really can't whisper like that, but you can act like you're whispering. It'd be much better for audio because when you went to the total volume of excitement, you know, you blasted our headsets out. So I, we had a rocky start at the beginning, but I thought... Um, no, I'm, pr- I'm pretty out. sure I probably told you to keep your mouth shut <laughs> and just do your job. Without a doubt, you did. <laughs> I remember that conversation very well. Well, you know, Barry... nervous about it. Barry always encouraged me to do the quiet talking. Uh, Barry was the one who got me doing that. I no, like, hey, like Neil, that. we were um, uh, talking about before we went on air, you were talking about how you did your podcast, or you started your podcast for to try to promote your book and things like that. That's sort of, excuse me, I just had meatloaf. Um, that's the same reason um, I started mine was, one was to, you know, promote the book, and then we also wanted to talk, you know, tell stories and hear other people's stories and if they're not correct or not qu- quite or way off we want to talk about those sometimes too but um so on your book you, you, you said a minute ago it's not your book that y'all promoted on the podcast and that's it was right. what the rise and fall of wcw it's called it's called nitro the incredible rise and inevitable collapse of ted turner's wcw and it's written by a gentleman named guy evans out of new york city and he and I actually just had lunch together. So he's in town writing another book called Buff Bagwell. I don't know what the name of it is yet, but he and Buff are collaborating on that one. So he interviewed me about the whole collapse and what happened at WCW and how we started the NWO and several things like that. And he said, if you think of any other stories, you know, please let me know and just record yourself and send the audio file to me. So I did that and thought of a couple more stories I could tell, like how we 
did the whole intro for Roddy Piper and Alcatraz. We actually shot it backwards, things like that. So the different production angles I can talk about compared to all the other podcasts out there that often just talk about wrestling or what could have happened or should have happened. I'm not about that. Our podcast, in fact, is all about the production on how you do it. But after I sent that to him, guy said, hey, you know, I'd love to get some of some of these stories on audio and make a podcast of it. I was like, you know what? I'll help you promote your book because I believe you're legitimate. You're going to tell the truth. And I like your style. So, yeah, I'll commit to eight. So Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro is on iTunes and iHeartRadio. And now we're up to, I believe, uh, tomorrow we'll be doing episode number 43. <laughs> so wow, the, the eight turned on to 43. So I've got to interview some terrific people all the way for sure. You're up next, Sid. How about that? That's good. Hey, uh, real quick, Internet Sid's got something to say, Rob. Oh, dear. Um, Neil, uh, this is Internet Sid. I don't know if you know this guy or not. It's the guy you met that first time you met, Sid. Oh okay, so this is the deal. Buff Bagwell's book will be called I Am Stupid. <laughs> I don't think they're going to call that one. But, uh, I'm sure there's, there's opinions uh, all around about Buff. No, he's a good guy. I like Buff. I can understand. I think, no. I think Buff means well. I really do. No, he, that's the best way to put it. He really does mean well. Um, but he is a good guy, but we could all be stupid once in a while. (laughs) But, uh, no, uh, so how's, uh, how's that book doing? No, let me ask you real quick on the rise and fall. What do you think was the, the reason WCW fell, fell like it did, Neil? Well, I think there's several factors, but the two major ones being that you try to treat wrestlers like regular employees mistake can't do that you know you guys have been spoiled your whole life as far as being athletes you've been terrific and been told that same thing your whole life and in fact you get into the business world and sometimes it doesn't work out that way when somebody says you're not great and then you're told to do what you have to do and you don't do it on your own time and for your own reasons that becomes difficult so the way it works with Vince as you know he pays you and it depends on uh, how you perform what you get paid a lot of times now there's politics involved so i can't get into that and don't really know the whole story behind those but you can't treat a wrestler like a regular employee because they're not motivated to do as much work as a regular employee so that's a big that's a big problem what do you think neil i i don't i mean honestly i've never heard anyone say that term or use that uh that that for an answer for that question i don't think you never dehumanize someone by saying don't treat them like humans i think now i do think wcw did spoil the guys but yeah. if you've been in both territories like i've been there neil the wwf days when it was the wwf when it was really popular hulk hogan and stuff it was just one step for being out of a carnival and that's how it was <laughs> and now people are and that's the truth and because uh, you weren't there i'll tell you that so right, yeah i don't know what i really think honestly why wcw failed neil was this now I tell, I've told Rob this before. When I witnessed this, Neil, in uh, Memphis Wrestling, when they did a feud with uh, Jim Cornette at Smoky Mountain, and what happened was they pretend both territories came in and feuded with each territory. And what happened when I was there, the, the guys, that the heels that had heat, like, um, I can't think of the guy's name. Um, I'll think of a minute. Uh, but the heels that had heat, once they went back to the existing territories, they were turned babyface, so there were no hills. And both territories actually shut down 
within a month or so of them doing that little uh, pretending to, you know, inf- you know, uh, interfere with each other. Now, I had really good, good success at first, and everywhere they did little joint ventures, the houses were crazy. But uh, uh, Billy Jack Haynes, the reason was I was working for Vince. And my nights off, I would come in and work for Lawler. And most of them were Louisville because Monday night, after Monday Night Raw, we had a few days off. And so I'd do Louisville and Evansville sometimes. So Billy Jack Haynes would ride home with me sometime, and I'd watch the matches. And I'd say, this, you know, I was the guy who had heat there. So I said, this guy's really got heat. Now, once they did that switch, I'd come in, the house is dropped. Billy Jack Haynes just walks to the ring with nothing, no heat, no pizzazz or nothing. So I saw that firsthand happen. And what WWF did and WCW did, I guess, did at first was they pretended to take in other guys into the territory. And those guys were taking over. So you're going to have great success like that in the beginning because there's no way of achieving heat greater than that in our business that we've seen yet. Right, Neil? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. what happens is they didn't go back to their existing territories. After a while, some of the guys did go back to Vince and then Vince and then pretend to come up to WCW with uh, Triple H and them. You know, uh, trying to take over and stuff like that. Take some of the guys back. I think they got um, X-Pac or something like that. So that sort of affected them the same, too. And I said this, you know, when all that was going on, I wish I could have taped it. I said, when both territories, when this thing fizzes out, and it did, I said, they won't be, it'll be like it falls off a cliff, and they will not be able to catch it. And that's exactly what happened. Do you agree a little bit with that? Well, I got to disagree with the fact that I said that you don't treat wrestlers like humans because that's not the case. It's the case though, is that performance does promote good, uh, money. And when you pay for big talent to do what they need to do, they need to do it when you need to have them do it. And they, this, need, they need to agree to that. So I gotta, I gotta kind of make the record straight on that. But another thing too, is when you let the, um, inmates run the asylum, like they did with wrestling when they didn't really have a plan, which is something I had always spoken about. And Keith Mitchell, uh, Craig Leathers, and I, we'd always talk about how we must have a plan laid out. We didn't have that. When you don't have a plan, you don't, you kind of make it up as you go, it's not going to be as good. And oh. you, you have to have little spur offs here and there said, you know, when somebody gets hurt or whatever, you got to know who to plug in, where, and when. And when you're just running by the seat of your pants, you can't possibly make great TV. No, that's something WCW never had. They never planned things out. You know, when I worked for Vince, we knew what WrestleMania was going to be a year ahead of time. But now, in that, unless you've been there firsthand like I have, a lot of those things change too. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now I'll say this again to go back to your point about um, WWF and how you treat the guys is this. In the beginning days, days of WCW, this is how I looked at it, Neil. I did what was asked of me, and if you were at WCW, you saw I never refused to do a job nope. or not do anything. And I looked I at it like this, this guy's giving me guaranteed money. Yep. I can't beat this, okay? Now, working for Vince, what you're trying to this is what this is what your answer you're looking for. And so if you're the top guy in there and all the guys got paid if things were good, those guys lined up to do exactly what they were told because they were looking for a little bit more money. So starving people doesn't make them better wrestlers, you know. So now in the beginning days, WCW I think had the greatest thing going. Now, at the later things, you are exactly right. Uh, I'll give you an example. Disco Inferno, uh, you know, they gave him a finish to do one time, and it, you know, Tom Arn gave him the finish, and it got down to where Disco wanted 14 referees to come in and, you know, 
you know what I mean? How they do that. And finally I said, Disco, just shut up and do this finish. You know, but you're right. It got to points like that. And what you talked about too, as far as having nothing, you know, planned in advance. And uh, I stayed in one time to join a booking committee with Kevin and Scott and Michael Graham and I think um, Randy Savage. And um, they never talked about one issue, one vignette, nothing. And I never went back to another booking meeting because they, I wasn't going to waste my days off, not talk about anything. And um, <laughs> no one thing they said, they said it 15 times ago. How can we save the company a million dollars or three million dollars? And I fell for it almost every time. I go, how's that? It goes, fire Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't know what to do with him, that's for sure. No, they, now there's an example. They didn't know what to do with Brett, did they? No, they did not. Had no idea. And Brett wasn't over that well either, right? Unfortunately, I didn't think so. I, I believe Brett Hart was one of the great wrestlers for sure. I don't know that he was something that would make a major impact like a lot of the other guys did. And like I said, I have much respect for him and his family, and uh, obviously what they've gone through. But I, I believe that to be true as well. For, said right off the no, bat he didn't make a serious splash you know no he's a good guy and one of the greatest memories when i was wrestling one of the few great memories i had in wwf was when we ran calgary there would be a time when there was a time when uh Stu hart would come and for some reason he sort of we sort of connected and it was really mm-hmm. great for me i really enjoyed for the old timers to talk to him, the guys who had experience and the guy look at me and go, man, you're something, you know, and you wanted to hear that, that validation from someone like, oh, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I, no, again, yeah, I'm like you too. Um, WCW didn't know what they were doing with anyone, you know, it's, they, un- it's unfortunate because, you know, Brett's legacy is terrific. His family's terrific. Actually. I, in fact, Rob, a uh, little side note there. I was actually Bret Hart's shoulder <laughs> in an interview. So what we did was, we went up to Calgary at his home, and he graciously let us come in and interview him in his living room. And Scott Hudson did a terrific job, as he always did, interviewing Brett. And Brett had to go back to work to write his column for the the national newspaper, I guess they have up there, or at least the newspaper in Calgary. And I was happened to have the same shirt, uh, the colored shirt, I think it was black, that uh, Brett had on. So I sat down and we did, did the reverse angle of the... Uh, video because we only had one camera and I had Scott go through all the questions again. <laughs> you were the shoulder. Part, part of my claim to fame. Nice. <laughs> I was the shoulder. That's We made a lot of mistakes along the way, Sid, didn't we? What's that, Neil? We, we made a lot of mistakes along the way, unfortunately. No, we did. You know, when I came back to WCW from WWF that first time, I, th- I saw so many things we could have done different, you know, and I was jumping in trying to do them, and, but, you know, people just didn't care. You know, you could say, hey, do this. This would be a better way of doing it. And it was like, you know, no, I don't want to hear that, you know. For some reason, uh, I had a little bit of interference there, but. Yeah. Not a worry. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those businesses where you can't hit home runs every night, that's for sure. But sometimes when you do not somehow, it really shows up. No, you're right, Neil. does it happen. I think oftentimes, too, was. It's a long way. One thing that I know us as production people didn't appreciate a lot of times when an angle would go wrong, we would just try to make it like it was in a cat box and cover it up, and that wasn't cool at all. Uh, you gotta 
you got to deal with stuff when it happens, and sometimes you can make something better than you originally planned if you do it right. And sometimes we really drop the ball on those. No, I can see that. The the one thing I wanted to bring up, I think I understood where Neil was coming from about uh, uh, treating wrestlers a certain way. So yeah, I find them a lot like artists in that respect, where they have to be able to be creative um, in their own right as well as do the job. So I think I, I I think that's what you were trying to get at, Neil, about the way you treat wrestlers. That's right. It's one of those things where I believe they're motivated by different things and the past at which people are treated, they expect to be treated like that again. And it doesn't always work that way. So, I mean, like anything, it's like sales, for instance. The more time you put in or the harder you work, the more you get out. And I think you kind of almost have to put that kind of pressure on some people to get what you need out of them. And I'm not saying um, that everybody else that could come in here and do that because they can't. But that's what motivates people. Because I saw it firsthand. When there were contracts that were just delved out and they just paid so much a year, all of a sudden everybody can't wrestle because they have a hangnail. I saw it over and over. It doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Unless you have personal ethics amongst yourself that say, hey, I learned that this what's this is what work is all about, and I want to keep my legacy going, and I want to make sure that every time I go out, I do as good as possible. But unfortunately, not everybody's like that. Well, again, Neil, agree with me or not, wasn't it worse in the the, the latter days instead of the earlier days? Like when Sting, the beginning days of Sting and Lex, and this is being honest, they were like the two hardest guys to deal with as far as like doing business for the company. Not, not want to do the right thing sometimes, you know, or the easy thing. But other than that, everybody else, I think, did pretty much what they were told. But then as it got to, say, that NWO era, where, like you said, they were just throwing out those what they call luxury contracts where everybody had their own car and everybody had their own room. No, And like I said, they just didn't care. Exactly. I believe that, Sid, because – and I'm not saying – I'm not pointing or agreeing with the names because – I personally had good relationships with about everybody. No, me too. Really say, you know, I can't really say that I had any issues with anyone that I wasn't able to clear up on my own. But I understand from your perspective, yes, seeing like some people get individual rooms or individual trailers. Okay, now we're not really a team anymore. We're a business that's kind of separating people. And I don't think that's ever a real good idea. No, it's not, Neil. You're, you're right on the mark. No, that's, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I, I had a question and I kind of garbled it there. Um, no, you're 100% right. And and that book, is that basically what that talks about? Is is that rise and that fall? That's not really what the book says so much. It was a lot of dealings really with things that we didn't even know about. It was the way Turner perceived us being kind of a, I guess, uh, not to be not to be mean, but somewhat of a redneck kind of uh, form of entertainment that really didn't have a place for Turner anymore, even though, as you saw, the Turner Sports people took us under their wings, supposedly, kind of yanked all our money away from us, um, acted like they were doing really well. Once wrestling collapsed, then all those disappeared. Hmm, funny how that happens. But I believe it was just in the works, no matter how much we made or how well we did, they were going to be ousted sooner or later because of the Time Warner 
a merger with us because Ted was always our biggest fan. Ted was no longer there. Right. I think that had a lot to do with it, Neil. The AOL thing. Exactly. Uh, that's what it was. That had a lot you know, to do with it. I mean, the majority to do with it. Right, right, right. Now, Neil, what, what are you doing now besides your actually, podcast? I'm, actually, I'm fortunate enough to work with a great company, Lockheed Martin and Marietta. We are a nationwide company. We help build the center portion of the F-35 fighter jet and C-130 cargo plane. And I get to do training videos to help people learn how to do that properly, how to, how to actually build the planes properly. And I really love my job. I'm very appreciative. Uh, I have a totally different way of doing work compared to the promo stuff and all the exciting pay-per-view things that we did. But it's enables me to use a lot of my flashy graphics to help people learn. So it's terrific. That's cool, man. That is awesome. I really love it. <clears throat> How did you transition from WCW to that? Well, um, I think it was a God thing, personally. I had kind of struggled somewhat after leaving the WCW Turner network because I had freelanced for Turner for a little while and luckily had gotten on with BET doing editing for both the Steve Harvey Project and the Monique Show. I enjoyed working for the Monique Show. She needed a whole lot of help, and I had great post-producer Tracy Kinzer and uh, people that worked with me, editors, and they kind of left me alone and let me do what I needed to do to fix it. I appreciated that, but one day I was asked to um, come in to do a training video with Lockheed Martin because a friend of mine couldn't make it. He said, but I know the perfect person that can do it. So he called me up, and I went over there, and I worked for three days, and they said, hey, can you stay the rest of the week? I said, yes. And they said, well, um, we'd actually like to hire you more doing this. I said, great. I said, I really appreciate the fact that you love my camera work and my directing and how I handle talent. I said, but really, I'm a better editor than a shooter. So they said, well, as a matter of fact, there's somebody going on a trip uh, on a ship to videotape some of our F-35 fighter jets. He's going to be gone for a month. Can you fill in? I said, yes. So it turned into a three-month project, which was terrific. And it was right on time. And then I went away for a little while, and they thought they needed to bring me back and did on a contract and now I'm working full time. So it's awesome. When you say you went away for a while, does that mean you went to the bathroom or you went out in the backyard <laughs> or no, Hey, Neil, let me ask you something. Have you seen any of that yeah. new wrestling stuff? The AEW? I've seen some of it. Yes. And I've also seen the NWA. The NWA. Yes. Are you familiar with the new NWA show that the gentleman from the smashing pumpkins has done? I no. Had, I had heard it had started up again just a couple days ago. I think you'd be good to sit, especially to see it, just because it's so old school, like Gordon Soley and them used to do in Tampa. And on TBS, you know, when they had the White Columns building where they did that, where David Crockett and yeah. Tony Schiavone and them were talent, where they just kind of come over and talk to them at the desk and then they'd send them back in the ring. So they're trying to do the old school style just like that. And as a matter of fact, Sid, they're doing it in the same arena, which we often did WCW Saturday night, which is center stage in Atlanta. Oh, so really? It's, 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 a, it's a throwback, dude. And I'm really looking forward to going at some point and visiting them because I know they're fans of what we did in the past. And, you know, I'd like to talk to them and see kind of where they got their inspiration also. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't, I haven't heard of that. That'd be cool to see. 
it's it's really good. I think it's it's different for sure, and I like it. What I've seen, and I've seen AEW. I wish them all the you know success in the world. A lot of my friends and our friends, Sid, that did production with us, um, Keith Mitchell, uh, Jeff Borenstein, uh, several uh, Rick Fancher, several people, camera guys like Chris, Chris Byram. They're all actually on the production team there at AEW, so that's Ooh, why it cool. kind of looks a little bit similar to WCW back in the day. All right, thanks a ton, Neil. That was amazing. Uh, now you, he has the uh, the novel that he's pushing. The uh, the oh, where did it go here? The Incredible Rise. Oh, I'm stupid. No, that's the other one. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is the Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and that's by Guy Evans, who is his co-host on the podcast that he does called Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. And like I said, they're up in 40s now. So it's been going on for a year or so. That's good. Yes. So, man, it's been a blast having him on. It was nice to have him on. Bring back the old days. Yeah, have you spoken to him at all since WCW? No, honestly, I thought Neil was someone else until I saw the big fat head of his. (laughs) Then it's like, I remember Neil. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember now. He did. I think we did have a little falling out in the beginning days, but I'm sure I pushed him in the face and kept going. <laughs> but uh, you couldn't help but want to push a guy in the face at a head like that. <laughs> but no, it was nice having him on. It's actually really nice knowing he can't say something back to us right now. There we go. There you are, Neil. <laughs> Thanks. No, and- I'm, I'm sure he's going to be really well liked by all the wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> they need to work for less money and work harder. I'm curious to listen to his podcast. I have too now. Yes. So now we know where to find it too. It's on iTunes and, oh my gosh, he said the other one, but I can't remember. Just look on iTunes. It's there. Uh, Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. That'd be pretty cool. I guess for us, we just have to get to a question. My time is yours. And I know you're expecting a question here, but uh, no question. Because this one was edited and we had some technical difficulties, right at the end, Neil dropped off. But, uh, Neil, you're back, and you you wanted to say a few things. Yes, I just want to thank Sid and Rob for having me on. It was a good time, and maybe we can get into some more discussion later. I know that wrestling is one of those that kind of, the subject matter hangs around and is great, and there's a lot to say about it. So I'd like to have uh, an opportunity to come back again, if possible. Oh, Thanks no. Oh, no, absolutely. Thank you so much for being on and for your comments today. You know, like it is weird how it is a business run by artists. So it's, it, it, it is, it's how do you treat it? Absolutely. It's never easy. Ex- it's always fun. <laughs> exactly. But no, we would definitely love to have you back on. Cool. Well, thanks, Sid. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.